0: To interpret, let, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets." For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet, or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. First Corinthians fourteen twenty-six to 40 in this section, Paul has been talking about spiritual gifts, and he introduces in verse 1, what then, brothers? What then, brothers, when you come together? What then, brothers, in light of all that I've been saying, what are the implications? What then, brothers? What are you to do when you come together in light of the spiritual gifts? I think Paul is not only saying what then in light of the spiritual gifts are you to do when you come together, but really what then in light of many other things he has been saying in 1 Corinthians. I think this, if, if you follow the flow of 1 Corinthians, he's in a sense bringing to a, a, a draw, a finish, the section on church life and the behavior in, in the context of the church. So his what then, brothers, is also in light of love. It's in light of the specific gifts of prophecy and tongues. It's in light of the very wonder of the body of Christ that we learned earlier in chapter 12 is is synonymous with Christ Himself. It's the place where he, God manifests His presence. In light of all these truths, what then? What should we do when you come together? What should happen? In the context of all these things, what should happen? That's a question that is a really important one for us today. Not just for the Corinthians to understand what then in light of all these things, but for us. Because the truth is, there's a lot of ideas out there about what then, brothers, what should we do? What should church be like? What should Sunday morning be like? What do you do when you get together? Why get together? And there's all sorts of ideas out there. Some say you don't really need to get together. Don't do the Sunday thing. That's an old traditional thing. Just kind of hang out with everybody. There's, there's approaches like that, because they say, well, the church is about a relationship, and so let's relate. Then, There'd be others who say, well, let's, let's do Sunday morning, but, you know, let's not do the old-fashioned Sunday morning. Let's spice it up, and let's make it kind of entertaining. See, it's a great question for us today to understand. What then, brothers? For us as a local church, what are we to do? What is Sunday about? What do we call it? What is it about? What then, brothers? John MacArthur, and speaking of this issue, uh, Tells some interesting stories. He says, The Los Angeles Times Magazine recently reported on one Lutheran church in Southern California that distributes flyers advertising their church service as, quote, God's country good time hour. The flyers boldly promise line dancing following worship. According to the magazine article, the pastor is dancing too, decked out in Wrangler boots and Levi's. Can you imagine that? You won't won't see me doing that. The pastor credits the campaign with revitalizing, well, at least not here maybe somewhere else, with revitalizing his church. Uh, The article describes Sunday morning at the church this way. Members listen to sermons whose topics include the pastor's 1974 pickup and Christian sex, rated R for relevance, respect, and relationship. It says the pastor, and it's more fun than it sounds. After the service, they danced to a band called, what else? The Honky Tonk Angels. And it says attendance has been steadily rising. Also, he cites a church that has, uh, runs this announcement in their bulletin. Circus, see Barnum, Barnum and Barely bested at the magic of the Big Top Circus as the magic of the Big Top Circus comes to the Fellowship of Excitement. Clowns, acrobats, animals, popcorn, what a great night. The same church has had a wrestling match and taught some of the pastors how to do professional wrestling moves just as part of their, their services, to spice up their services. So there's all sorts of ideas out there. There's all sorts of ideas about what is Sunday about. And there's a whole range. I mean, there's the ridiculous, and then there's there's maybe very traditional things, and we need to ask the same question there. I'm not saying there's some you know we're not to ask the question of some. We're really to say, well, what then? Because when we when we look at the landscape, there's all sort of ideas. Well, First Corinthians 14 gives us some understanding of what then. What are we to do? While not being an exhaustive treatment, a comprehensive treatment of everything that our gathering is to be about. 1 Corinthians 14 does give us some key indicators of what it's about, why we gather, what we are to do. Let me just sum it up for you at the beginning, and then we'll get into it. Three things. We gather together. We gather together. We gather in order, or orderly. We gather orderly, and we gather to build up. We gather together. We gather in order, in an orderly fashion. We gather to build up. First, I want to talk about how that we gather together. If you look in the verse, it says right off the start, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn. So, we gather together, you come together, and it says that each one has something to bring. It's really important... for me to mention this, and it may seem kind of silly. I mean, of course we gather together. It says it right there. Everyone knows on a Sunday we gather together. But you know what? If we don't pay attention closely, we could miss it. We could come here and gather, yes, with others, but just end up sitting isolated, not in relationship, not as a participant, but as a spectator. And this section teaches us that we gather together. We don't come to a performance. We don't come to be spectators. We gather together, and each one comes with something to give. Corporate gatherings are just that. They're corporate. They're a body of people. They're more than one. They're an interconnected group of people. It's corporate, and it's a gathering. It's coming together. It's the body coming together. We come together. And this whole section in 1 Corinthians, I think, has taught us that the whole idea of an independent Christian... And an independent Christian experience is a contradiction. That the church, the the people of God, are by nature interconnected in Christ. We are united with Christ and therefore united with one another. The whole idea of an independent Christian is just a total contradiction. And some weeks ago we talked about the fact that we are part of a body and there's no such thing as in Christ as a dismembered body. So if you're a Christian... And you think that there's some sort of possibility to be a lone Christian. You're a lone ranger, a lone wolf type Christian. You're, You're living a lie. I think the Bible would even say you need to question whether you are a genuine Christian. If that has been your consistent pattern. We are to be interconnected. So we gather together on Sundays. We come together because we are together. Because we are interconnected. We are a corporate body. And we come and each one has a gift to bring. Each one. It's not a spectator sport. It's not like how they describe football, 50,000 people watching 22 people, 50,000 people sitting, resting, watching 22 people. Oh, sorry. 50,000 people who desperately need to exercise watching 22 people who desperately need to rest. It's not that. <laughs> it's not that. It's a corporate experience. We are to be in a sense on the team together. It says here that each one comes with something. Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Later on, it says, "For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged." So all these words are communicating that this is a corporate experience. This isn't going to the show. This isn't going to hear someone play or, you know, music or sing even worship songs. It's not going to hear a speaker. Though that those elements might be there, it's a corporate experience that each one comes with. It is. Corporate in nature. We need to understand that. And that is a conviction that that I have. And we have, I believe, as a church and a movement of churches, that our Sunday morning meetings are not a performance. They're a corporate experience. That's why we do things the way we do. Uh, When you come in here, and for some of you it may be very different than what you've experienced, but we are intentional in what we do. And we create a a time of singing and worship. We're going to get at why we do that. We invite people to share. Because it's corporate. It's corporate. And there's many aspects of our Sunday gathering that, that we can participate in. come with our different gifts. So each one comes with a gift. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that each one does everything, that any of us could do anything at any given time, or each one of us every Sunday have to do something public. We have to share something. Paul, I don't think, is saying that because if we back up in chapter 12, he says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. So there's all these gifts that are given. And then he asks rhetorically, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No. The the understanding is no. Not not everybody does this. Not everybody's going to operate in the gift of prophecy or not everyone's going to teach. Not everyone's going to be a pastor. But it's not the other way around either, that there's only one. Only one person up there sharing something publicly. So Paul, in using the words that he does in this section, is not mean to say that everybody does everything, but that it's corporate. Each one. You see each one. One coming with a hymn, another coming with a, a word, another with a tongue and an, and an interpretation, another one with a lesson. Each one is coming. It's a corporate gathering. It's a family event. We are together sharing. Each person is contributing something to this, D.A. Carson, I think, captures it well. He says it's completely foreign to the New Testament, he writes, to split the Christian community into one speaker and a silent body of listeners. The same point has been made by many more popular writers. Chapter 14 reflects a church service where there is dynamic interplay, sharing, give and take, not detailed liturgy, climaxed by lengthy exposition delivered by one properly recognized authority. The picture here, folks, is not just one guy giving a message and everyone just sitting there quietly listening. There's interaction. There's people bringing their gifts. There's people sharing. Now, there's order there. It isn't crazy, and Paul's having to address that. Perhaps in Corinth, it was a little too disorderly. But Paul says nothing to counteract the fact that it was corporate. Matter of fact, he's encouraging that. It's all coming together. And we can express that in many ways. We're going to get into more of the elements and details, but but let us be committed as a people to that understanding of our Sunday meeting, that it's corporate, that we're here together, that we're going to come with our gifts, we're going to come to give, we're going to come to receive. There's going to be this interaction. Even in preaching, feel free to, to uh, amen as we go and so forth. The more corporate we are in preaching, the, the better, I think, it serves us. We don't have to be conservative New Englanders and let that restrict us. Let us interact. Amen. So it's, amen, so it's corporate. It's corporate. We are together. And, and, that, and an amen like that just helps. It helps us remember, wait a second, this isn't a lecture. I'm not watching a talking head on a video here. I'm, I'm with gathered with God's people. It's much more. We're gathered here together. God is in our midst. and God wants to minister in this corporate context. So each one comes with these different gifts. Let's take a, a, some time to look at these different gifts, the different elements of a, a Sunday meeting or a corporate meeting. Again, this is not exhaustive. We'll spend a little bit of time just touching on some of the other elements from other parts of Scripture, but let's look at the ones here. First, it says a psalm, and in, uh, in the original language, that word is samos. So if you really want to impress your friends without, you don't need a Greek degree, just add an OS to the end of the words in English, and you'll sound like you can speak Greek. So os one os has os asamos. Well so Each one has a psalm. Each one has a psalm and, or a hymn. And uh this is a word that basically connotes a song of praise to God. It would include the psalms, the singing of the psalms themselves, and and uh, we did have Eddie sing the psalm this morning, but we yeah. <laughs> we could do that, and that's part of what in coming on Sundays we want to read from the Psalms. The Psalms are a wonderful means of worship. That's that's what they're about. They're for the corporate singing. That's that's how they were used. Now I love to in my quiet time before the Lord to read the Psalms and to pray and talk to God. I mean, that's one of the richest things I can do in my time before the Lord. But they're actually for the public meeting, for singing and celebrating together. So each one has a a hymn or a psalm coming with these praise songs to God. I wouldn't limit it to just the Psalms, though. I think the word can mean singing a praise to God in general, certainly to include the Psalms, because if you look earlier. In chapter 14, Paul talks about singing with his mind and with his spirit, and he uses a word that's related to the word psalm. Basically, I psalm sing with my mind, and I psalm sing with my spirit. And he's speaking of speaking in tongues there. And I don't think he's speaking a psalm from Scripture in tongues there. I think he's singing praise is what he means. So I think the word is broader than just singing a psalm's but that's a great place to start. It's a great place on a Sunday to bring psalms to worship the Lord through a psalm, and and it's just a a blessing. So Psalm 100, starting out our time uh, in Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord and enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Last week, Psalm 103, uh, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Um, That's part of how we do this corporately, bringing a psalm, so thank you, Eddie and, and Ken last week. for for sharing those psalms. And, and I just encourage you guys that during the week, if you are reading the psalms and you're just struck by something or another section of praise in Scripture or, or you even maybe compose something on your own, a poem or something or of worship, let me know so I can give you an opportunity to share it on Sunday and to call us into worship. So we see each one has a hymn, a psalm of praise. If we look elsewhere in Scripture, I, I think Paul would broaden this to not just... Hymns, in Ephesians 5, I'll just read that, 5.19, it talks about addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's another verse like it in Colossians. So, the corporate experience of addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs when you're together. Now, those words, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, have a lot of overlap. Paul is, is, I think, emphasizing the fact of singing in the corporate context. There's slight differences between them. Again, a psalm, Singing a psalm would tend to include the psalms themselves. Hymns were, in the Greek language, were understood as songs of praise to a hero or a deity. So in that culture, a hymn is basically a a song of praise to God for us as Christians, singing praise to God. And then a spiritual song really encompasses everything else. So it's any song that's of the Lord for his glory. So it could be something like a chorus it could be just a little, a simple phrase of singing to the Lord. There's, there's a real range of things. So we're called, and when we gather corporately, to bring these sort of elements, hymns, psalms, spiritual songs. And so we as a church are committed to singing to the Lord together. We see that in Scripture. We see it not only here, but we see it in, in all of Scripture. If you look in the Old Testament, temple worship included a lot of music and singing to God. There was other elements, too. We're going to get to that. But there was the singing of praise. And, and God has given us this wonderful blessing of music. And music ministers to us and helps us to worship. So that's part of why we do that on a Sunday. We sing. And we sing for a little while so that we can have time to focus on the Lord and to enjoy his presence. And in that context, to allow him to minister. God, I think, is pleased as he was with David as David played the harp in Saul's presence to, to work and to, to, to give peace to Saul, in that case, I think he's pleased to minister to us as we sing in songs to him. And so we make room on a Sunday to do that, to be before the Lord. It's not just a sing-along. I remember when I first started to experience a church that did this, I had come from a, a parachurch group that really, we used to sing songs, but they really were like sing-alongs before our, the rest of the meeting. It was kind of a warm-up, that's what we thought. You know, this is a warm up and we'd sing and we'd sing all sorts of stuff we, we would sing hymns we would sing secular songs too i remember singing ghost riders in the sky before a, a meeting you know and so just my understanding of of song singing in, you know in, in a meeting was just this is a warm-up that's not what it is we don't sing four songs or whatever at the beginning to warm up for the message we sing to be before the lord to worship to enjoy him and to see him work in that context, to provide a context where these other gifts we're going to get to can come up and be, and be given and shared and we can enjoy that. So that's why we do that. That's why we have that part of our time at the beginning because we're called to sing, we're called to worship, and God would minister in these other gifts as well in that context. It looks like in Scripture there are some psalms, some spiritual songs, hymns actually, uh, captured for us, early, early hymns. We're not definitely sure, but just by Looking at how things are phrased in Scripture, you can see it. So, if you looked in Ephesians five, there's a phrase there where Paul says, "Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you." And he says that that it, uh, it therefore it says this. It really doesn't say that clearly anywhere in Scripture. There's v- different verses that have some of those words, and so certainly we go to Scripture. But that probably was a a spiritual song that they would have sung. I don't know what the tune would have been like, but but it sounds like a little chorus. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. 1 Timothy 3 as well, there's a, a, what looks like a, a hymn as well. It says, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in, in the world, taken up in glory. So it's this poetic type stuff, probably an early hymn. And there's others as well. Colossians chapter 1, when it speaks of Christ, it very well may have been a hymn as well. So that's an element of, of the worship, of the corporate worship of God's people, singing of hymns and spiritual songs and celebrating the Lord and his goodness. And thank God for all the great songs we have to worship the Lord by and what that does for us, how that ministers. I don't know about you, but, but I know I can come in on a Sunday and I can perhaps be struggling with something and God will minister to me in the context of singing songs of worship. He'll speak to me. He'll remind me. He'll refresh me. Thank God for that. Thank God for wonderful songs like what we sang. Isn't he good? Isn't he kind? Hasn't he blessed us time after time? Isn't he good all of our days? With endless mercies and ceaseless grace. Oh, let us sing. He is good. And there's just something about that when you, when you say it and when you sing it. That, that ministers to us and gives God glory. And so Paul is commending this sort of thing for the Corinthians. And I think all of scripture would as well. So each one has a hymn. Each one has a lesson, it says next. And this is another element of our Sunday gathering. A lesson or a teaching, it might say, in your Bible. So there are those who are bringing the element of a lesson. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, it, let, it's, it can also be understood as let the word of Christ dwell not only in you individually, but amongst you as God's people. Let the word of Christ, let the gospel, let the truth of the gospel dwell richly. Let it be something on Sunday when people come in. There's a lot of sharing going on about the gospel, about the word of Christ. There's lessons being shared, and and I think that that Scripture in First Corinthians 14 would speak to I think different types of teaching and lessons lessons being shared. There can be short lessons, there can be testimonies, or In in some ways, what what David shared about our time together was a teaching on the life of Augustine on scriptural truth, based on scriptural truth. So there can be lessons like that. And we are all to really be teachers of one another and to share. So on a Sunday, we make room for that. If God's been teaching you something perhaps during the week or you have a burden from scripture, a truth from scripture to share, please talk to me because we would love to have you share that if it's appropriate, if it edifies, and so forth. We'll, we'll talk ab- about a little bit how we weigh these things, how we determine what we do. But but the idea of, of teaching. So there's a responsibility that we all have, and also if we look in Scripture, we, and we understand how it teaches us about the office of pastor-teacher and the re- qualifications and responsibilities of such. In Ephesians 4, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, so forth, we see that there are those who have... A special ability and responsibility to teach as well. So there's the element of teaching, not only that we teach each other, but there's those who have oversight and who have the, the burden, the prime burden of teaching. The pastor, teacher, elder, overseer, all the same thing in Scripture. So there's that element as well. And I think that's clear. In this passage, it's clear elsewhere. I think the testimony of Scripture in general, looking throughout the whole Old Testament and New, you see the importance of teachers and of teaching. And, and so this is a key element for us on a Sunday. It isn't just a small element. We don't necessarily weight it the same way we do the other ones. Because I think the testimony of Scripture, the importance of teaching, particularly if we look at Ephesians 4, for building up the body, the importance of teaching... And the steady diet of the exposition of an illustration, an application of God's Word, the steady diet of that is very, very important for the health of the church, for the building up of the church. So we bring a lesson, we bring a teaching, and, and we, that's why we do what we do. That's why we spend almost half of our time on a Sunday under a teaching, hearing a teaching. Because we see it in Scripture, because of the blessing of it, because it builds us up in Him we make it an important part of what we do. Not the only thing, but an important part. And so you can just see it all through Scripture. And, and there's some interesting illustrations in Scripture, too. I think of Paul, when he goes to Troas, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he, and they have a corporate gathering. And in that gathering, they perhaps sang and did some of the other elements. But one thing we know they did, if you read the section in Acts, there was a teaching. A matter of fact, it says Paul taught all night long. And that and Eutychus, I think it was, fell asleep in the window and fell out the window and actually died. And they prayed for him and he was, he was raised from the dead, basically. So talk about a teaching ministry all night long. Imagine that. Um, so that's a, an important element. And, and I, I know you guys are grateful for that. I just, I can think of my own life in Christ, my own growth in Christ. And I can tie my growth and seasons of growth to teachings of godly men who have brought the Scriptures, who have exposited the Scripture and have have been used of God in that to bring the truths of God and in the very presence of God to bear in my life. I I think of times, uh, I mean, many seasons throughout my life, many men, but I I remember in particular going to a conference within Sovereign Grace, the first time hearing some of the guys that lead us. And just being so struck by the truths that they were bringing. This whole idea of gospel-centered living and the impact that it started to have in my life. And just seeing through these guys' lives the, the illustration of these truths in their lives. I mean, I really was ruined for anything else after that because of the impact of their teaching. And that's how teaching is to serve us. God wants to use teaching as a key element in our corporate gathering. That we might be changed. That we might see and behold his truth in his ways and be built up and that he would be glorified. So each one has a lesson, there are lessons being brought in different ways, different levels of responsibility there, but each one is to have lessons, lessons are to come. It also says in the section, each one has a tongue or an interpretation or a revelation, so a revelation, a tongue or interpretation, in verse I think is it 26. We've talked a lot about that, so I'm not going to spend much time, but that's basically talking about prophecy. The giving of prophecy, New Testament prophecy, and the sharing of tongues with interpretation. Later on in the section, we've touched on this a little bit, Paul says that if there's going to be a public tongue, there must be interpretation. If there's no interpreter there, that you must be silent. So there needs to be an interpreter ahead of time. The person needs to be silent. If, if there's no interpreter ahead of time, then the person doesn't know to be. if there's lack of interpreter or not person doesn't know whether to be silent or not, right? So it's necessary that there needs to be an interpreter ahead of time, the knowledge that there's someone there to interpret. So that's a requirement in Scripture, very clear. And um, So we've spent some time on these gifts. We'll, we'll, we'll talk and address that a little bit. There's other components of a, of a corporate gathering, too, in Scripture. And not only in 1 Corinthians 14 uh, do we see indicators of what goes on, but we see that as we survey all of Scripture, and so just briefly touching on things, that prayer is one element we see. Public prayers, prayer together going on. The public reading of Scripture, Paul tells Timothy to, to practice, to be faithful in the public reading of Scripture. So reading Scripture out loud. Musical instruments we see in the Old Testament. Uh, we don't necessarily see them in the New Testament, but we see them in the Old Testament. I think the implication is that that is an element that we can practice in worship and use in worship. I see nothing in the New Testament that would compel me to say, no, no more instruments somehow. And the, you know, Christ has fulfilled everything with instruments. We're done with instruments. I don't, I don't see that. Uh, so musical instruments, the Lord's Supper would be another key ingredient. And we'll spend some time on that. So those are some of the other elements in Scripture. Now it's important in all this as we hit on these elements and we hit on the dynamics here that we not lose the forest for the trees. okay? Because what it's really about is God ministering to and through his people and manifesting himself amongst his people. So these different ingredients, these different understanding, is not an end in itself. It's for the purpose of experiencing God and, and manifesting his glory. It's for the purpose of worship ultimately. So in this section of Scripture, Paul's teaching all these things so that they might be a people who enjoy his presence, who see him, who see him glorified in the public setting. So they're in a sense, they're like... Ingredients in a recipe. Different, there's different ingredients. God wants to make something that is basically, it's the manifestation of his glory among his people. He, that's what he's wanting to make and he uses the, these elements. Not every week has to have every single element. There's a flexibility there. But these basic elements we see in scripture and they compose this thing the Lord wants to make called the corporate gathering. See, God, God is very interested in the corporate gathering. I've experienced that. I have had times where I have struggled with certain issues in my life and in private have not found breakthroughs. But when I in a public context come to a public context, I have experienced grace. As a pastor, I so many times experience grace on a Sunday. I can come in on Sunday and I just know God is doing something that's way beyond me. That this particular Sunday, a particular Sunday, doesn't go well because I just happen to be in a good mood or I, you know, I had really good a time preparing the message or or somebody singing did a great job or whatever. There's more to it than that. God wants to visit us. And His grace is poured out and I've experienced that. God is very interested in this corporate gathering. Christianity is not a matter of, of individual Christians doing their thing. It's not even a matter of a few Christians getting together here and there. And doing things when they want. Christianity is also, it's those things... But it's more, it's also about the corporate gathering coming together. We see that throughout Scripture. God wants to visit His people as they gather in His name. So these different elements are given to us so that we might compose, by His grace, a wonderful thing called the corporate gathering, really part of being the temple of God, where He visits us and manifests His presence. So we gather together. We gather together. We can learn from this section. Also, we gather in order. We gather, gather in an orderly fashion. Paul teaches us that here. If you look throughout the section, there's all sorts of things that speak of order. He says, as far as people speaking in tongues and, and prophesying that there are each to go in turn. They're to take turns. He says that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. He says at the end in verse 40, but all things should be done decently and in order. So one thing that is to characterize our corporate gatherings is order. There is to be order. It's not to be confusing. He, said, he says to take turns, which is really funny. I mean, he says everyone is to speak in tongues in turn. And, and you think, well, of course you speak in tongues in turn or whatever you're going to do, you're going to do it in turn. You don't all go at once. And we don't need to be reminded of that, but we do. We do. And that may not be an issue for us right now as far as taking turns, but I think as God encourages us in these things and we have scriptures coming to mind and prayers that we want to pray and things that we want to say, we're going to have to take our turns. We're going to have to wait. There's going to have to be this submission to order that goes on. Um, And I, and I, I know you know that. I know that because when I'm in a meeting, I was just thinking of the men's meeting on Saturday. We were having a great time talking about the life of Augustine and, and sharing. And, and there were a couple times when I know I just had to kind of wait my turn. I had something I really wanted to share, and I know there were others as well. And if I didn't take my turn and others didn't take their turns, we would have just kind of you know, talked at once or been interrupting each other. I mean, does that ever happen to you You're in a conversation? and you. Well, when we have something to say, it, it'll be a temptation. So we're called to be in order, to understand that this isn't just about me sharing my thing. This isn't just about me dumping my burden that I've got to to share. This is about the corporate experience. God meeting us and using me as one among many to minister his presence, to build up his people, to glorify his name. So we take turns. We take turns. We wait. Um, We don't go on and on. So there's a lot of lessons to learn from that, from what Paul says about taking turns. He tells the Those speaking in tongues with interpretation, two at most, three. He tells those who prophesy, two or three prophesy. He limits things. There's some lessons in that. First, that it's not all about what I got to share. It's about God doing what He wants to do in our midst. And that may mean that you don't get to share what you wanted to share. And that should be insightful for us. A reception of a revelation from God does not automatically mean the sharing of that revelation. God may speak to you about something. He may remind you of a scripture and it may burn on your heart and you, your heart might be thumping and you're ready, I've got to share this. That doesn't mean you're to share it necessarily. God may be speaking to you. He may be speaking to a number of people at once. He may be speaking the same thing and I've seen that. There was a, a men's retreat I was at uh, about four years ago or so, three years ago. And I was the guy that was overseeing the sharing, the microphone, and I had five guys come up to me with basically the same scripture, the same truth, the same sense of a word to share, five of them. Now, they all didn't get to share, because it would have just been the same thing five times in a row. I don't I don't think that was necessary, I don't think that was orderly, I don't think it necessarily honored 1 Corinthians 14. So only one of those guys got to share it. Well, if you're one of the other four, what do you think? Did you miss it? Did you somehow, you know, you didn't get up there fast enough, you know, or something, and... You didn't get first in line. It wasn't first come, first serve, by the way. But, um, but you know, did you miss it? No, you didn't. You were hearing God. And he, the way he speaks, uh, he loves to reveal himself. He loves to speak truth. He loves to speak in themes. And often he'll do that. And if we are sensitive to him, we will experience the same thing often. We will have a sense of God wanting to, to talk about something. And we may find someone else shares that same verse or has that same burden and gets there before us. It doesn't mean that we've failed in any way. That's part of how God works. So let us realize that uh, we want to be eager to share, but we also want to recognize this doesn't necessarily mean I need to share because I have a sense of God in this. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. We are to order ourselves as we meet in his name. And again, this is not a real problem for us in some ways, but I think as we grow in our understanding of this section of scripture and the corporate nature of our Sunday meeting, it's going to be a challenge more. And we'll have people, and we may have a line of people wanting to share something and, and so we'll need to remember these things and, and and have our heart be, I want to serve. Not that I want to say what I got to say. You know, it's all about me kind of having my say no. I want to serve and God may use me. Let us have that heart and, and walk in order. A couple other things in regards to order here. Uh, the meeting itself is under leadership. It's not a meeting that's kind of everybody, every man for himself. It's not like what a what some Quaker or friends' meetings might be like, where everyone just sits in silence and waits for the sense of God, and they just go for it when they got a sense of God and um, it 's not something like that there 's actual leadership, not to say there isn't leadership under Quakers or anything, but, but there's leadership being exercised here now, now, why do I say that? Where do I get that? Um, well, first off, I get it from scripture as a whole whenever we 're in a passage and we 're looking out of truth we got a We want to dig into the passage and see what that particular passage says, but we must remember the whole of Scripture as well, what the whole Scripture teaches about that particular topic. We need to take that into account. We have to be careful we don't read into that passage, the whole of Scripture necessarily, but we need to understand the context. And that's the first thing, the whole of Scripture. If we look at Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, it's about God working in his people using leadership. And there's no place I can think in Scripture where where there's a leaderless group of people that God looks on favorably. He is a God who uses leaders through and through. So the whole of Scripture teaches me that, but also what's going on in this section. For it says, when someone prophesies, it says, let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. So there's a weighing that goes on. There's an evaluation of what's being shared prophetically going on. There's a weighing that goes on says, let the others weigh what is said. Now you may ask, well, who are these others? Maybe, Paul, they're not leaders. Maybe the others is just the whole congregation. And I think to a degree that is true, that we are all to weigh what's being said. And First Thessalonians talks about that. Uh, basically weighing what is said, keeping the good, throwing out the bad. So I think we're all to do that, but I don't think that's really what Paul means by others here. Maybe you think, well, it's the other prophets perhaps. Uh, Not to say that they're not to weigh things, but I think it's actually leaders that are weighing things. Why do I think that? Well, I think it because what Paul goes on to say in this section. There's a section in this passage that seems out of place in some ways. He starts talking about the roles of women. In the middle of the section about Sunday meetings. And and it's like, well, why? I mean, why get into that? What does that have to do with what's going on here? I, I don't quite get it. Well, I think he's saying it because he's talking about leadership. Do you see that, those verses there? In verses 33 to 35, he talks about women keeping silence in the church. And some would understand that to mean that women can't say anything in church, that they have to be silent in any sort of public gathering. I don't think that's what this is teaching. The reason is because if you turn back a few chapters to chapter 11, it speaks about women in the public context. And it says that women are praying and prophesying that they that these women are called to wear head coverings, which is a culturally relevant sign of submission. Okay, so they are to, they are to do what is culturally relevant and very important, and actually seems to be shameful. Otherwise, they must wear head coverings to express their submission, because in that culture and public settings, you didn't go out without your head covered if you were married. So Paul's saying, wear that head covering. That's important to show submission in God's order. But you wear it when you're doing what? Does it say in chapter 11? When you're praying and prophesying. So there's prayer and prophecy going on by women in public settings. Are they being silent? No. They're praying and they're prophesying. And and some would read into that, that well that was what he means in chapter 11 is that they're at home by themselves. Well if they're at home by themselves they don't need to wear their head covering. They're in a private setting. They don't need to do that. And prayer and prophecy in that context means public prayer and prophecy. Prophecy has limited application in private settings. If you're by yourself it doesn't help a whole lot to prophesy to yourself. I mean, it's, it's for others. And it's for the corporate meeting. So chapter 11, the context is corporate context. And there are women who are speaking. So did maybe Paul kind of forget what he wrote in chapter 11 when he wrote chapter 14? He had a senior moment maybe. He was writing something and he just totally forgot. Oh, that's right. I, that's right. Oh, yeah, I allowed women to speak back there. No. No, I don't think so. I think what you yes. asked... Um, I think what's going on is that Paul is speaking about leadership because it falls right on the heels of the idea of weighing what is said. So the prophets prophesy, and others weigh what is said, and then he jumps into, uh, shortly after that, the women keeping silent. So women are not to participate in the leadership, the public leadership of a Sunday morning meeting. It's basically what he's saying. That's what's going on. So my whole point, there's a number of points we can take from that section. And, and by the way, I may have just opened up a can of worms for someone here um, about roles of women. And, and, uh, and I'm sorry, not that I opened up the can of worms, that I can't answer all your questions at this point. I would love to. And I, and I uh, really, I'm eager to do that. Uh, and so if you have questions, I could point you to scriptures. I could point you to some good books on that. Um, there's, there's a lot to address in that. But suffice it to say that Paul teaches in Scripture that women are not to exercise authority over men, to be leaders in the church and at home. Uh, In 1 Timothy 2, he says it very explicitly. They're not to do this. And he says the reason that they're not to do this is not because they're incompetent, by the way, guys. Uh, It's not because they're incompetent, because there are many women who are very, very competent to lead. They're very gifted. They're very gifted to teach. That's not the reason. He never cites that, so let us not do that. That was the the error of generations past, and that's chauvinism, and it's not true. God gives gifts, and, and women are equal partners in Christ and very gifted along with men. That's not the reason. It's because of the order of creation. God has created. He created Adam. That's what he says in 1 Timothy when he talks about it. He created Adam first, and then Eve. There are roles God has called us to. He made us men and women for a reason. He could have made us otherwise, there are other species that, you know, reproduce themselves. We could just be kind of like, you know, a person grows out of you and out of your shoulder or something and that's how you have kids. It could have been that way. All right? He could have done it any other way, but he chose to make men and women and to give them roles. And men are called to leadership. Guys, get used to it. We don't always like it. We will run from it often, but that's what we're called to leadership. His grace is sufficient for that. But men are called to leadership. And so this section, Paul is talking about people weighing prophecy and he's, that's why he brings in this issue with women. Because um, they are not to be speaking in an authoritative way on the Sunday morning, saying, hey, that, hey, that was a bad prophecy. You know, that's the sort of thing that's not to be happening. The leadership is to be with the men. And so there's leadership going on here. Part of the order is that there's leadership. There's male leadership going on. And there's a weighing that goes on. There's, there's an oversight. So, so this section of Scripture teaches us that. And again, I would say the whole of Scripture and the New Testament teaches the importance of leadership. That that elders, pastor elders, are called to lead the body. and And I don't think uh, it's right to assume, that, as some have, that there weren't any elders in Corinth. Because if you look at the pattern of Paul's ministry, he would go in and preach the gospel. And then he would install elders. He would appoint elders. He does that before he goes to Corinth. He does it afterwards. Why would he not do it at Corinth? The word elders may not appear in First and Second Corinthians. But that does not mean that there aren't elders there. There aren't leaders there. So in this corporate meeting, there's leadership going on. And the leadership, I believe, is responsible for the weighing. And so we as a church weigh things. We don't come on our Sundays just kind of like, you know, whatever happens, happens. And whatever, you know, if somebody speaks some heresy, we'll just kind of flow with it, whatever. And, you know, we'll deal with it. No, there's got to be leadership. There's got to be order. So, So we have men, not just myself but others, who prepare for Sundays who think about what we want to talk about and and, and consider what the Lord would have. We have men who oversee what's going on. So we will usually have someone here manning the mic. And that's not to restrict the corporate nature. We're committed to that. But that's to order it, to weigh it, to make sure that it's fitting and edifying and, and it's going to build up and it's truthful. So we're all called to do that to some extent, too. So let me just share a few things that I do in asking uh, evaluative questions in trying to determine what the Lord is doing. I ask a few questions. One, is it God-glorifying what this person has to share? Is it God-glorifying? We can ask ourselves when we have a burden to share. Is it God-glorifying? Is it in accordance with the Gospel, with the truth that is in Christ? Is it scripturally accurate? These are all kind of the second question. Does it ring true with Scripture and the and the truth of Christ, the interpretive key of Christ, the fact that Christ fulfills all things. Does it ring true with that? Is it Christ-centered, is it gospel-centered? So is it God-glorifying? Is it Christ-centered? Is it loving? In other words, someone could come up and it could be like, you know, I got a serious rebuke for a few people in this church today and I'd like to share that. You know, and that, that's not going to happen because I don't think that's the con public meeting is not the context for that. That's not how we understand these things as we look at 1 Corinthians 14. Um, so, it's got to be loving. It's got to be edifying. It's got to build up. There's got to be a sense of, wow, that encouraged me. That reminded me about God's glory and His goodness. That was edifying. There needs to be that, that aspect. And all these elements teaching, prophecy, sharing, all these things. Uh, is it edifying? Is it fitting and orderly? Does it fit in? Is there a sense of God with it? Is there a sense that God wants to speak this today? God often speaks in themes, and so there's a sense of, is it orderly? I think that's part of what Paul means. He he doesn't mean there's just kind of crazy, extreme, like a prophecy about this over here, and then the next person gets up, and they're talking about, you know, the situation in Afghanistan, and then someone else is talking about, you know, raising children or something, and we're just going, what is going on? My mind is getting stretched. I don't think that's orderly. So there's a a question of, is this in order? Is there a sense of God and Him leading us in themes and so forth? And then the question I always ask, too, is, can I trust this person? Because he may have something great to share and it sounds good, but I may not know him or her um, from Adam and, and I'm going to be very hesitant. P- particularly in this context, it's not going to happen if I don't know the person. Um, in a larger context where I can't know everybody, I, I will ask questions like, oh, are, are, do you, are you part of this church? Have you come, you know, when I've been in those situations. Uh, all getting at the part is, can I trust them? Is there a track record of reliability with this person and integrity and so forth? Because I don't want to hand the mic over to somebody who's going to take us in crazy places. And I know churches, and I know brothers and sisters who have been on some crazy rides when people have been given the chance to speak, and they speak heresy or whatever, and, and we're going to seek to avoid that because we are, we are seeking order. And again, the whole purpose of this is not just to have order. It's not, we're not having order for order's sake. We will not have had a successful Sunday if it's merely orderly and decently done. It will not be successful. Remember, the whole thing is these are ingredients of a corporate gathering so that God would be in our midst. So that we would encounter Him and He would manifest Himself. He would show us and remind us once again how wonderful His Son is that has died for our sins, bore our sins completely. The whole, not in part, the whole has paid for them and has risen again victorious over sin and death. And he's our champion. That's the sort of thing we're looking for. We want God to bring his truth and to manifest himself in these ways and to use these elements. That's what our Sunday meeting is about. And Karen, if you could come up as we begin to close. Um, Sorry for taking some extra time, but I think these are important things for us to understand, to understand why we do what we do. And so we can come prepared. So the the purpose is not just to have order. The purpose is to encounter God and we, I read earlier during worship that whole experience when Solomon dedicated the temple. And if you read that whole thing, you'll see there was a lot of order going on. They had singers, they had trumpeters and everything. They had the, the Levitical priests were all set and they had, you know, they had to go out and purchase all these sacrifices and probably had all these guys that were in charge of logistics, you know, and he had to make sure all the sheep were lined up. And there was a lot of order that was required. And so Solomon prays and then God visits them. And he pours out his glory. And a a cloud fills the temple. And you don't see anybody saying, oh man, God showed up. I was waiting to do my trumpet solo. That's what we had planned. I was going to do the trumpet solo in worship. And God showed up. You don't see that. See, the order is not organized for the purpose of itself. It's for the purpose of God manifesting his presence among his people. And that's what we see in that passage. And and there's some interesting things that go on. I mean, God shows up and, and they... They end up on their faces, saying, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. They're worshiping God. They didn't plan that. There are going to be things about our Sunday meeting that we don't plan. God's going to lead us. God's going to guide us as we meet. Yes, we're going to be orderly. Yes, we're going to seek to include these key elements. But the purpose is that God would manifest himself amidst his people, that we would be built up in him and edified. That's how we're edified. So Paul says, all things are to be done for building up. All things are to be done for building up. We get built up when these different elements of a Sunday morning of our corporate gathering are employed in faith, by grace, and God shows up. And God reminds us of truth. God uses the lesson. He uses the hymn. He uses the words. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. So let us come on Sundays understanding what it's about. Understanding these different elements God wants to use, understanding that we each have a part to play—it's a corporate thing that goes on here. Many of us have come from backgrounds where it's not as corporate, and it's more like a lecture. We're not doing lecture stuff here. We're coming together in His name, each one having a part. Yes, we're going to—we're committed to the teaching and preaching of God's word, but that—that that is a key part. But it's more than that. It's God manifesting Himself amidst his people with these different elements for his glory. So some questions in conclusion before we finish with a worship song. One, is there some aspect of your understanding, of my understanding of Sunday meetings that needs to change? A question, is there anything about your understanding of Sunday that needs to change as a result of the Word of God? Does my practice of Sundays have to change somehow? So ask that question, is there something I come in with, some assumption I'm making that's not right? That needs to change. Some practice. How am I preparing for Sundays? If this is what God's about, and if it's corporate, I've got a part to play. Now maybe I'm going to share, but maybe it's some other part, according to gifts and so forth. But how am I preparing? Am I looking forward to Sunday, or do I come in you know, not expecting to give, but just to kind of be there? Now there are seasons of that, and, and there are times when it's, I, the Lord wants to minister to somebody, and they just to sit and take it in. Not, and not to say, we don't do that. But overall we are to come prepared to meet with the lord and his people so how how are we preparing how are we praying do we pray for our gatherings sundays and and other gatherings are we serving and am i believing god to use me on sundays and am i glad to be in his presence on a sunday just some questions for our evaluation let let me pray and we'll, we'll finish in worship lord we just thank you Thank you, Lord, that you have called us to yourself, that you've gathered us to your people to be together, Lord. And that you've called us to be part of this local church. And God, you want to manifest your presence among us. You want to meet us. You want to glorify your name. You want to remind us of truth. You want us to have deep, truth-based relationships in love that, that display your goodness and your glory. Thank you for all these things. And I pray for us as your people. That we, Lord God, would be a people who are glad to come together. Who rejoice with those who say let us go to the house of the Lord. Who rejoice when we can be with the people of God. And Lord, that you would use us each on Sundays for this wonderful privilege of our Sunday gathering and celebration. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, uh, let's let's close with the song. If you could stand, I will glory.